0: Thank you for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now.
1: Let's go to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Up to this point, Saul has been made king over Israel. He leads his people in victory over the Amorites. Now, this is really kind of the last highlight in in, uh, Saul's career here as king. We're going to be able to see um, uh, Saul kind of fall towards pride and and being very impatient and disobedient and, and deceiving. Saul, instead of pursuing the Lord, is going to begin to pursue himself and try and build himself up in the eyes of his people as opposed to following the Lord and letting God build him up in his timing before the people. Um, Here in verses 1 through 5, we're going to see Samuel defends his ministry. Uh, In verses 6 through 11, a brief history of God's faithfulness. In verses 12 through 25, Samuel then admonishes the people to follow the Lord. And so here in verse 1, it says, Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And now here's the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Um, After this day, actually, Samuel is around for like another 30 to 35 years, possibly even 40. And so when we look at this, and when they first come to Samuel and they say, hey, dude, you're old, and your sons don't walk in your ways, and he even admits, hey, I'm old, okay. Okay. But you're still going to have another 30 plus years here before the Lord takes you away. And so there's plenty of time for the people not to have panicked that they need a king now. And so he says here, he says, Behold, I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my childhood to this day. And so in asking for a king, the people not only rejected Samuel, they more importantly, they rejected God during this time, um, Israel has been governed for nearly 500 years by judges that God has raised up, uh, but they still want to be like the other nations. Samuel in this chapter is helping Israel to make the transition from Samuel being the last judge of Israel to Saul's leadership. And so before Samuel leaves his post, he wants to set the record straight. And so he goes on and he says, Now here is the king. I am old and gray-headed. Samuel's telling Israel that his day is over. And so now he's just going to be uh, the advisor to Saul. But Saul's the one that's going to call the shots from here on out. And then he says this, and look, my sons are with you. This is huge. My sons are with you. This tells us that he took disciplinary action after it was brought to his attention that his sons do not walk in his ways and that they take bribes. He says, look, my sons are now among you. Because he's about to say, how have I ever cheated you? How have I ever done you wrong? And he wouldn't have been able to say that if the charge about his sons taking bribes had not been taken care of. If he left them in their posts, they're going to be able to say, well, this is how you've cheated us. By keeping your sons there to judge us, and they judge uh, corruptly after you knew that they were not walking in your ways. They could have made that claim, but they don't. Why? because he took actions. And he's saying, my sons are among you. And it's like he brings that up as the one charge that you had against him. He said, look, my sons are now among you here. They're with you. You might recall that, um, I believe this shows uh, Samuel's integrity here, because you might recall that Eli was told what his sons were doing and he approached his sons, but he didn't take any action. He didn't do anything. He didn't sit him down when he should have. He's the high priest. He could say who's a priest and who isn't. And so God comes to him later and says, you honor your sons more than me. And because of that, I'm going to honor those who honor me. And because of that, I'm going to judge you now. And you're both your sons are going to die on the same day. And so he judges Eli that way. But God doesn't judge Samuel. Why? Because Samuel took actions once he knew. Look, you're not responsible for things you don't know. But once you know, you're now responsible. And God requires action from you. And so Samuel does that. And he says in verse 3, he says, Here I am, witness against me before the Lord, before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. Again, he couldn't make this claim if he had left his sons there in the positions that they were in before. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, Lord is witness against you and His anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. So Samuel brings his faithfulness before the people. Speak about somebody who actually has lived, in a sense, in a fishbowl. Ever since he was a little child, and being raised up in the temple there, or in the tabernacle there, and then being the uh, high priest that God has raised up, and then running to and fro throughout all of Israel there, in order to bring them back to worshiping God and Him only. I mean, everything he has done has been in the public's eye. And yet... No scandal. He hasn't pressed anybody. He hasn't cheated anyone. So the people know that Samuel is flawless. We need more people to be able to proclaim that at the end of their life. We need more ministers to be able to proclaim that at the end of their life. To be able to stand up in front of the people and then before God and say, there has not been any scandal. I have not been made rich off of you, God, off the ministry. I haven't cheated anyone. If I've cheated anyone, let them come forward. Man, to be able to stand before God, to be able to stand before your congregation at the end of your life, not that we should boast about it like Samuel is just proclaimed before the people, but how nice to know that when God is calling you to the end of your ministry, that you can stand flawless like Samuel has. What a blessing that would be to have faithful ministers who could say such things. And so then Samuel gives them a history lesson of now God's faithfulness. And there are many men whom God has used that have done the same thing. When he begins to recount the history of of God's faithfulness, um, Moses has done this, Joshua has done this, Gideon has done this, Samuel's doing it right now, Um, Stephen before the Sanhedrin does this. And so he goes on, he says, Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, and he said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hand of your enemies, and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal, Beden, Jephthah, Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and dwelt in safety. Now, I find it really interesting here when God starts naming these people. He names Moses and Aaron, and these are all people that we know. And then he says, and then I sent Jerubbabel. Who's that? It's Gideon. That's Gideon. That's Gideon's name. And the question I have is, go, Lord, why didn't you just say Gideon? I sent Gideon. You would recall Gideon. When I say Gideon, you go, oh yeah, I know Gideon. But when I said Jerubbaal, you're going, who? And I, and I look at that and I just go, why, why did you say that? And I just want to let you know, I have no idea. <laughs> but as I was dwelling on it, Jerubbaal means, um, uh, that's a name that means that uh, may Baal plead his case. And it's almost like, I think, that the reason why the Lord said that is because they probably know about Moses, they probably know about Aaron, they know about these guys, they're probably thinking they're godly men, that God has chosen to lead them and to be judges over them, but Jerubbabel was not. He was a follower after Baal. That was his name. And yet God comes calling him even though he was not being faithful to God. Again, just showing God's faithfulness is almost like the Lord saying, I don't even have a godly guy that I could raise up today. So I'm just going to choose this guy right here. Why? To make my name great, he's saying. To show my great faithfulness towards you, even though you're disobedient. Just something I, I thought of as I was going through this and going, wow, how weird. Jeff Thaw and Samuel, and we know all these other guys, but. Man, why'd you call Gideon Jerubbabel there? Think about that. You might have a better reason when we have the question and answer time here in a moment. Uh, Beden, they say, is probably Barak uh, there with Deborah. Um, They think it's just a a variant spelling of Barak mentioned in Judges 4.6. The Septuagint has it that way. Um, And so it goes on in verse 12, it says, and when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, that means Samuel, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord, your God was your king. So this tells me something here that, that we didn't have this information before that Nahash was not just somebody that all of a sudden came on the scene out of nowhere to where then Saul went and and defeated him, as as we read in the last chapter. That means that there was trouble on the horizon. It's not as though he just shows up on the outside of the gates of this town, and they go, oh my goodness, Nahash the Ammonite's here. No, they knew that Nahash the Ammonite had already been causing trouble in the region. It was because he's been causing trouble in the region, according to this, that they come to Samuel and they say, put a king over us. So now we see a little bit more. Why? Because we just don't want to do it the way it's been before where all of a sudden we have to cry to the Lord and then everybody has to come and and fight against this uh, enemy that is upon us. We want to have a king. We want the king to have an army. And we want them to fight our battles for us. When God wants us not to fight our own battles, but he wants us to join him in the battle that he's fighting. And so that gives us a little bit more information that Nahash has been a problem for a while. And it's one of the reasons why they were seeking a king. It says, now, therefore, here's the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. Even though the Lord was your king and man, he was a good king. He was a good king. And you want a king for fleshly reasons. And so it says in verse 14, if you fear the Lord, serve him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. Then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. One of the things that um, usually happens when I counsel somebody that has fallen away. They've backslidden. They're not walking with the Lord. They've done something horrendous that they're now feeling uh, a repentance over, which is a, a really good thing. I say, look, we can't do anything about what you've done in the past. But you can do something today. How can you be obedient to the Lord today? To where then you'll be obedient to the Lord as you move forward. We can't do anything about this. You're, you're admitting that this was wrong, that you did this. That is great. Now, how can we be obedient to God today? And that's what Samuel's saying here. That's what Samuel's saying. Look, you blew it. You asked for a king. You did it for the wrong reasons. Now. Now. This is where we are today. How can we be obedient today? And he tells them. He says, obey his voice. Serve him. Don't rebel against his commandments. Then both you and the king that reigns over you, you're going to do well. You're going to do well. Just follow the Lord. Just follow the Lord. I love that about God. Isn't that what he does all the time? You just, for whatever reason, just been a knucklehead the last three days. Okay? Okay? For some of you here, it's been longer. For some of you, it's been less. But let's just say we've been a knucklehead. What can we do about it? We can confess it is what we can do. And then we need to ask the question, but how can I be obedient right now? How can I be obedient today? And that's the direction that we need to go. That's the direction we need to go. And so he goes on and he says, Now therefore, stand. See this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. You know, in my walk with the Lord, I have found that I've fallen into this pattern time and time again, where I don't say it, but I kind of act it out in the way of, yeah, I know the Lord has moved in my life. I've seen him move and this like that, but I start to you know, act as though I haven't seen him done anything in a while. And so Samuel's done amazing things before the Lord and before the people. The people really do believe that Samuel's in touch with God, he's the last judge, and he's the one that needs to go before the Lord, that they can't really go before God, that he's the real spiritual one. And so to reemphasize that, if there was just anyone wondering if, "Eh, I think Samuel's lost his touch. I think Samuel, maybe God's not using him as much anymore. Samuel's about to do something here through what the Lord is telling him to do, and he says, watch what the Lord is going to do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain. Then you will perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. Have you noticed that in the last four chapters or so, this same theme keeps coming up, even though they've admitted, you're right, we, we shouldn't have done that. But he just wants to emphasize, it was very wicked of you to ask for a king. Okay, it's very wicked for you to ask that. The Lord was the best king you could have had, and yet you're asking for a human instrument. You're going to get that. You now have that. Now obey him as God leads him. However, you shouldn't have done it. And let me make this very, very clear. And he says, I'm going to send thunder and rain, even though it's the wheat harvest. And so Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Talk about Samuel literally preaching up a storm. And all the people said to Sam, pray for your servants, the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. The wheat harvest is between May and June. There is no rain that falls during that time. As a matter of fact, when the rainy season ends, it really ends. It ends pretty abruptly. When it stops raining in like the beginning of April, so they don't see a stitch of rain until the rainy season begins again. And so for rain to come during a very towards the uh, uh, beginning to the middle of the dry season is like, that just doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. And so he sent him rain and thunder along with it, and it scared him. And so, then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. I'm just emphasizing you blew it. Just know that you blew it and go forward today with a heart of, I want to follow God and I don't want to blow it anymore. So they confess their sin um, because it says, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die for we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. So they confess that and, and, and once you do that, you don't need to fear anymore. You don't need to fear anymore. Some of us might have felt the pangs of guilt and, and uh, uh, might have been involved with something that the guilt is just there, it's just there, it's just there, and, and you're trying to push it off. And it weighs so heavy, and you don't want to recognize what you did. You're ashamed of it. it. It hurts for you to dwell on it. You can't believe that you did it. And so you just kind of stuff it. And then it just comes out. Because... You're one of God's people. And He can't allow for that to just be stuffed and stuffed and stuffed. And so finally you fall upon your knees, you cry, you, you tell the Lord how sorry you really are. And when that's over, the overwhelming cleansing that comes from God is 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 just absolutely beautiful. And it's awesome. It's one of the reasons why when John's speaking to believers here, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How beautiful that is. Because even as believers, we sin. And some of us, we know better because we've been walking with the Lord so long. How could this have become a part of my life? How did I get involved with that? Why is it that I did that? I know better. And then you begin to understand a little bit why Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Why is it that I do the things that I don't want to do and the things that I do want to do I don't do? You begin to understand that. It's not an excuse. It's just a reality. That even though we know Jesus Christ is inside us, we still are in these fleshly bodies. And they're still powerful. And they still have desires that are contrary to to God and what He wants for us. And so... They do ask forgiveness, and when you ask forgiveness, there is no more fear, because you know that that has been taken out on the cross by the blood of Jesus Christ. doesn't mean that there's no consequences. But the fear of, of, of displeasing God, the fear of not being accepted by God, the, the fear of that maybe he's not pleased with you or, or has turned to, he doesn't do any of those things. But once you confess, it's like, bam. You're right there in the presence of God. And He will never leave you or forsake you. And so He goes on in verse 21 and says, Do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. Before that it says, don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things, which prof- cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. I want you to catch this. I want you to be able to see in verse 20 and 21 that if you are not serving the Lord and walking with the Lord in a very close relationship, then there's something else that you are doing that is empty and is going to profit you nothing. It's going to leave you empty. It cannot profit, it cannot deliver whatever you're a part of. It's going to leave you wanting. And and what makes that happen is the fact of what it says in verse 20 that you're not serving the Lord with all your heart. Which tells me if you're not serving the Lord, your your life is going to be empty, it's going to be vain. But if you're serving the Lord, then that's what's going to bring that purpose and meaning to your life. Don't turn aside to the right and left. That doesn't mean that you don't take a job and provide for your family. That's part of serving the Lord. You're supposed to provide for your family, but not so much to the hurt where you're not actively in service somewhere serving the Lord. It shouldn't be that way. And if it is, you're going to find your Christian life is going to be empty. Isn't that a, quite a conundrum? Can a Christian life be empty? Yes, it can. Because there are carnal Christians, and there are Christians that have made that step of faith in what God has done for them through their son, Jesus Christ, and yet they remain there, and they don't step out in maturity to grow, to be that person that God wants them to be. And because of that, you're going to lead a very empty life. And I have found in my own life personally, and I think that this is a sweeping um, uh, characteristic in all that serve the Lord, that I believe that we would all say this, that as I served the Lord and I stepped out in faith, and the more I stepped out in faith, the more that I served the Lord, the more mature I became in the Lord. And the greater I understood the Lord. And that's just the only way it can happen. But when you sit on the sidelines, you can't grow, you just can't. You can grow in the way of knowledge, but, but you're never going to grow in the way of maturity. Because remember love, puff, I'm sorry, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And that knowledge is never going to be able to be used in order to advance the kingdom of God and bless anybody else has to be through the love of christ that compels you love is what edifies, and love is what motivates you into service your love for your savior love for your creator
0: well that's all we have time for today on this wednesday edition of abiding in the word with pastor dave love tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in first samuel If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303 663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.